Do you know if you try to manipulate a relationship, you will damage it? I suspect you know that. That's common sense. Most people understand that. Here is a more complex problem. You do know this, but yet you try to do it anyway. It would be hard for me to understate how often people come to us in a relationship crisis like this. Somebody is in the relationship trying to manipulate it, trying to force someone to change. They are not changing. They may have a good desire for that person, but their methods are manipulative and forceful. If you do that, if that is your methodology, you'll blow up the relationship. Each person is different, and you must understand them before you attempt to help them change Knowing your audience, whether it's a spouse, a child, a friend, or a parent, is critical. And that's why I'm doing this podcast. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. I'm so glad that you are here. The title of the podcast is, When You Manipulate Change, You Damage the Relationship. If you would like to read this podcast, I would love for you to do that. Go on our website, rickthomas.net. You'll find it right there. When you manipulate change, you damage the relationship. You can look under the relationship category. You can also type some portion of this title in our search box, and and you will find it. Let's bring my friend Biff in here. He's he's so vital to this ministry because he speaks to all of us. Biff was a bottom-line guy. Only one thing mattered, and that is the result. He would say, here's the goal, let's go, what you waiting for? And he was always the one who determined how things ought to be. His way or the highway was his secret sauce. And of course, he could back it up. He was a successful business person. In his town, Biff's Burgers and Fries is a well-known eating joint. The people love his food, and, and he's rich too. What could be wrong with Bill's formula for success? On the, on the surface, there is nothing wrong. But once you begin to look a little deeper, Bill's secret sauce is putrefying. Bill is a control freak who knows how things ought to be and how to get things done. Mix that with his ability to reason Yeah, he's a smart guy too, and no one can challenge him. And besides, the proof is in the pudding. The bottom line is all the information he needs to support his motives and his methods. But there have always been problems in Biff's business, and even more profound issues in his marriage. In his business, he has a high turnover rate. No employee, except for Mabel, whose need for money is greater than the frustration of the job, ever stayed with Biff longer than three years. In his 15-employee operation, he has hired and fired 23 people. There has always been an excuse, none of, it, none of which would ever stick with Teflon Biff The truth is, it's not possible for people to bear up under the scrutiny and pressure of his demands. Biff is outcome-oriented, results-mannered. 
while the process is to get to the results, took a back seat. He would say, that's business when someone left or went to another job. Besides, there were always folks who wanted to work at Biff's. The turnover was high and the morale was low, but Biff keeps churning along, raking in the dough. Interestingly, though he is a success on the business front, and you may want to put success in in quotation marks, he is a frustrated and unsuccessful husband and father. The reason is that he uses the same methods in his home when he implement that he implements in his business. I was talking to a wife of a football coach one time and I asked her what it is what it's like to be married to a football coach and she looked at me sadly and said, "Well, what you see on the sideline, the yelling and the forcefulness on Saturday afternoon, well, that's what it's like to live with such a person. And when uh, an individual like Biff, who is so successful, high-demanding, results-oriented, well, he's probably going to use the same methods at home. He has an expected outcome for his wife and his children. The bottom line is how things ought to be if you want to pass muster with Biff. Sadly, his family cannot meet the demands. They do not receive his preconceived ideas because they are more forced than nurtured. Their reaction confuses Biff because he knows he's right. He wants a loving wife and obedient children. What's wrong with that, he would say. It's what God wants. It may be what God wants, but God does not force righteousness on anyone. He creates a context of grace and invites people into that context while motivating them by his grace. The law does not encourage folks to change. It discourages them. It exasperates them. Our Father could have skipped the gospel and made us righteous, but that negates and defiles our relationship with him. That's also robotic, not human. Of course, Biff can treat his employees like robots while accomplishing his goals, though there will be turnover and and internal frustration. But the children at home, they can't quit the family because they are young, and the wife is not willing to quit the marriage, meaning divorce, at least not at this time. Biff and the family are between a rock and a hard place. He wants them to be a certain way. They are resistant to what he wants, and he can't legislate his interpretation of how things ought to be. The tension in the home will ebb and flow between tense peace and combustible anger. It has yet to occur to Biff that the outcome was never meant to be his to force. Think about, think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.6. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. In Biff's way of understanding things is, I plant, I water, I grow. God has not called us to determine outcomes, but to trust him 
for how things will turn out. What God has called us to is to faithfully and gratefully work the process while leaving the outcome to him. Not Biff. He wants to plant, water, and control the outcome. James called this arrogance. In, in chapter 4, 13 through 16, James says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is is evil. Not only is Biff arrogant, but Biff is evil. As it's not if the Lord wills, we will, or my wife will be this and my children will be that. No, he's boasting in his arrogant. A man who tries to control the process and outcome, he doesn't need God because he is a God. There is no room in Biff's world for God. Because he has it all under control. I planted. I watered. I gave the increase. That is the gospel, according to Biff. Now granted, Biff is not a good God. Because some of his employees are angry with him. His wife is mad at him. And his children are accumulating resentment that will turn into full teen rebellion when they garner the courage to manifest their real thoughts in a few years. This storyline is what happens in almost every marriage or family debacle. At least one person in the family, usually a parent, believes they know how things ought to be. And based on what they believe to be right, they try to mandate or legislate the outcome. This mistake inevitably leads to disaster. Biff could get away with his tactics and strategies at work because his employees would buck up and do things his way. They would salute the flag or they could leave. Many, of course, chose to leave. His like-it-or-lump-it mentality worked in the workplace, but would hardly fly in the home. There are many problems with Biff's way of interacting with people, the biggest of which is his godless my-way-or-the-highway worldview. The problem with Biff's thinking is, is not that his ideas are always wrong, and it is important that you hear that. In fact, this is where we get tripped up more times than not because what we desire is correct, is biblical. It's not the desire. It is our methodology. What does Biff want? He wants a God-loving, husband-following wife and children who act similarly. Those are biblical desires. I want them too. The issue is not so much Biff's desires, but how he goes about making sure they happen. He runs roughshod over people without considering the people he is manhandling. The result is relational dysfunction and alienation. Biff's family is dysfunctional, and he alienates himself from those who could help him. Biff has bought into his culture's view of success. Win. That's a win. We want to win while imitating their style of acquiring success. 
at all cost. Where he gets tangled up is how he couches his good and spiritual desires for his family as being right, while lacing them with his self-serving agenda. He then implements worldly strategies to get what he wants. His over-spiritualizations, these good desires he talks about, it obscures the sin. It creates a blind spot he truly cannot see. Before you get too angry with Biff, that would be problematic, it is critical for you to know that he truly can't see. Now, Biff has three options. He could hire robots. Two, he could change how he treats people. Three, he could continue to live in work and familial dysfunction while alienating himself from those relationships. If he hires robots for his work, if he marries a robot, he can program them to do what he wants them to do precisely. If there is anything he doesn't like about his robo-world, or if he makes a mistake, not likely, or comes to understand things differently, absurd, he can upgrade to Robo 2.0, Robo 3.0, 4.0, and keep on trucking. There is an infinite number of tweaks and upgrades that Biff can make. He will be able to hit the bottom line every time with no relational effort or challenges, though this could work. It would not work for God. God wants relationships, even though he knows these relationships are messy. The Lord understands the doctrine of progressive sanctification, and he's up for the task. He will take a person just as he is and begin relating to him in such a way that motivates him to change, not forcing righteousness on the individual. And while God has a bottom line too, he doesn't minimize the process. One of the blessings about the process is how it deepens the relationship between the giver, God, and the receiver, you or me. Aren't you continually amazed at the grace and mercy of God in your life? He does not deal with us according to what we deserve, but he gives us more favor, more patience, more kindness, more love again and again. You see, God loves the dirt. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities, as a father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God loves dirt. We are dust. I'm a dirt clod and you are too. Guess what? God knows this, and he loves playing in the dirt. He knows his audience, and he knows it can't be just about the result. You see, we're too dumb to get to the end without the help of our forbearing Father. Do you like playing in the dirt? Now, that's an important question. In the context of this podcast, do you like playing in the dirt? Well, guess what? If you're married... Your spouse is a dirt clod. Are you more apt to kick at the dirt if it does not meet your expectations? Guess what? Your child is a dirt clod. 
Do you see the dirt as an opportunity to, to shape something for God's glory? Your friends are dirt clods. Do you manipulate the dirt into your image-exalting and reputation-seeking purposes? Paul talked about this when he wrote to the Thessalonians. He wanted to make sure they understood how people are different. And you too. Your spouse is different. Your ch- all of your children are different. You know this. If you have more than one child, they're all different. Your friends are different. And when Paul talked to the Thessalonians, he wanted to make sure that they understood that we just can't map our desires and expectations over another person and expect them to fall in line and to replicate them perfectly. You can't treat people all the same. They are not unemotional, unfeeling, detached robots. Listen to Paul's urging in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. He says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Be patient with them all. There are three people groups in this sentence. The unruly, the small-souled, he called the faint-hearted, the physically or mentally challenged. And then he closes his appeal by saying we should be patient with all of them. Paul was not so much thinking about the result as he was thinking about how we treated people who were shuffling toward the goal. Everybody can't run in a full sprint. Everybody can't run a marathon. Some people shuffle. Everybody is different. How about you? Are you more apt to use people to accomplish your goals or desires? Or do you see people as an opportunity to help shape them for God's glory? Paul urges us to think about the people that we are interacting with daily. This need is more critical when it comes to your spouse. In Bill's case, his wife, your children, your closest friends, everybody is different and each requires special attention. Life is not about filling spots in a business or ministry, but about transforming lives for the glory of God. If our focus is on the bottom line or our pet goals, our preferences, our our image cravings, there is a good chance we're going to miss out on some considerable transformation opportunities in people's lives. One of the ways that you can test yourself is by how you think about the person you want to change. Do you have that person in your mind? Maybe it is your spouse. Maybe it is a child. Maybe there's a friend in your life, in your youth group, in your school, at the workplace. Fix them In your mind for just a moment, if your thoughts are sinful, then your motivations for that person are wrong. And the change that you hope will happen will not happen unless God decides to bring change in spite of your foolishness. But I would not presume on the grace of God. Here's a few questions that you could think about as you think about this person that's in your mind now. Are you impatient toward the person you want to see changed? You can see that in Bill's life as I shared that story with you. You can feel the impatience of Bill. And if you are impatient toward an individual that you would love to see changed, you will get in the way of what God can do. Are you frustrated with the person you want to see changed? 
Third question, are you critical of the person you want to see changed? Here's another one, number four, and this happens also all too often. Are you unforgiving toward the person you want to see changed? You cannot harbor an attitude of unforgiveness in your heart. And where this one gets tricky for people is that you you have been legitimately hurt by that person. It is, it is legitimate. I would not want to shrink that down one iota. You have been hurt. But if you have an attitude of unforgiveness, if you can't show mercy, at least in your attitude, as God has shown mercy to you, you'll get in the way. You'll presume on God's grace. Two more questions. Are you bitter toward the person you want to see changed? An attitude of unforgiveness that goes on for an extended period, well, it will morph into bitterness, and then it will get deep in you, and it will defile you. And whatever your good intentions were, you will not help that person change. Finally, one more question. Do you gossip about the person that you want to see changed? I've given you a list of six words here. Impatience, frustration, criticalness, unforgiving, bitterness, and gossiping. If any of those things make up how you interact with another individual, then you will not be able to cooperate with God. You will not be able to be on his restoration team to help that person change. And some people will say, well, I really don't care if they change or not. It doesn't matter to me. Well, please understand. Do you see how far you have gone? Imagine if God would take that perspective on you or me. Oh, I don't care. I don't. I don't care if Rick ever changes. I have. I have struggled with him for twenty-five years, and and he will not repent. Well, that's how long it took before I did change. There are more questions than these six, but I want you to think about impatience and frustration. Criticism, unforgiving, bitterness, and gossip. These are enough to get you thinking rightly about God and others. If any of these things are in your heart, if any of them in your mind, then your motives are wrong. And you should never expect that person to change. Oh, yes, I know. God's grace is greater. But again, we're not robots. We are relationships. And sometimes God uses, in fact, Most of the time, God uses the adverse situations in our life and the adverse relationships in our life, and maybe, maybe it's 1A, 1B. Maybe the first thing is not for them to change, but maybe this adversity is in your life for you to change. Maybe you need to get out of the way first. You need to follow Paul's advice and carefully consider the people you're trying to motivate to change and how you may be driving them. They are not like you. They are different, and you must understand their differences to come alongside them adequately and redemptively. We don't want to be like our friend Biff. The title of the podcast is, When You Manipulate Change, You Damage the relationship. You can read all about it if you wish. I have a couple more thoughts for you. One of those things is, do do you know, this is what I would say to Biff. This is what I want to say to Biff. I'm sitting with Biff in a counseling session, and, and I would tell him, Biff, do you know that your wife is double damaged? You have a double damaged wife, a double damaged individual she is. She was born in sin, 
That's damage number one. And her parents were too. She came into this world broken, Adamic, and her parents made mistakes in her life. That's double damaged. Biff, you received double damaged goods when you married your wife. No matter how marvelous, no matter how magnificent her parents were, and I'm sure they were great in so many areas, they were not perfect. Her parents did not entirely sanctify her. In fact, in some ways, some, somehow they got in the way. There are residual issues that carried over into her adulthood, and, and Adam caused problems too. She was born in Adam and then shaped by sinful people. You could also say she's triply damaged because she's made poor decisions, wrong decisions in her life as well. Her brokenness makes it hugely important for you to become a student of your wife so you can continue the process of a progressive sanctification that she needs. Too many new husbands marry a woman and expect things from her without carefully discipling those things into her. Peter said it this way in 3.7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You've heard this text before, and you know that there's a spiritual component here. If you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, then you are truncating, mitigating, hurting the relationship that you have with God. There's a spiritual dynamic here. There is a process to help her become the woman that God is leading her to be. Oh, by the way, wife, your husband is double damaged too. I needed to insert that here because I know some wives will listen to this and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy, I hope my husband listens to this because he's such a knucklehead. Uh, Well, please understand everything here applies to you as well because he's double damaged. Sometimes a wife will say something like, that is not what I signed up for. What did you sign up for when you married him? A perfect man or a work in progress? Your husband is a dirt clod too. If you're demanding a result without helping him get to the goal of glorifying God, you need to repent just like Biff does here. You can't jump over the process to get to the target. It doesn't work that way. Here are three questions that I want you to think about. This is your call to action. And of course, I want you to share this with someone. I also want you to Uh, Use this, especially if you get together with, let's say, a small group. This article here would make an excellent topic in your small group if you're willing to be intentionally personal in how it affects you. Don't use this article in a small group where you get in the small group and you talk about Biff. What a wild man he is. What a knucklehead he is. Oh, how Biff needs to change. Now everybody's talking about Biff. No, Use this as a template to talk about yourself. Here's your three questions. Number one, how are you creating a context of grace in your home that is conducive to the sanctification growth of your spouse? How are you creating a context of grace in your home that is conducive to the sanctification growth of your spouse? That's how you personalize it. 
That's how you take it away from this Biff-centric conversation that you do not want to have. It is simply a template for self-examination, self-analysis. How are you creating a context of grace in your home that is conducive to the sanctification of your spouse? Number two, what resentment, bitterness, or unforgiveness are you still harboring in your mind against this person that you have been thinking about during this podcast? Preferably someone who has hurt you. That's where you want to focus. What resentment, bitterness, or unforgiveness are you still harboring in your mind? Number three, are you nagging him? Or are you forcing him? Are you trying to manipulate this person, her? Are you trying to manipulate her, Biff, to be something without getting into the depth of their sin to help them to become that person? The title of the podcast, When You Manipulate Change, You Damage the Relationship. You can read it. also have embedded articles here that will tie into this dialogue that you could have with your friend as you work through this idea of helping someone to change the right way, not forcing them, not manipulating them. And, of course, if you want to talk about this, we uh, would love to talk uh, talk about it with you. And so jump on our free community forums brought to you by those who support our ministry. Thank you so much for supporting us. And if you want to support, please help us. We're reaching a lot of people, and we could use your help. Uh, And so if you would do that, I would be most grateful. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.